Good evening. Um, We're reading from Psalm 63 tonight. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars shall be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Grace, and good evening from me. Uh, my name is Adam. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, it's uh, great to be with you tonight as we now just spend a few moments opening up the Bible together. Hopefully you have your Bible open to Psalm 63, which is where we'll be uh, spending our time tonight. Now, when I was in high school, one of the things that we did for... English was we would read and study a particular book. Now, I I probably didn't appreciate it as I should have at the time. I'd love to go back and to be able to do that again. Maybe I'm just a massive nerd, but but that really appeals to me now. (laughs) Liam's nodding. Liam's going to be fired. No, just kidding. (laughs) One of the books that we had to study and, and to read was a novel called I Am David. It's set in the years following World War II. It tells the story of a 12-year-old boy named David who escapes from a concentration camp in Eastern Europe and then sets out on the long journey across Europe to get to Denmark to find his mum and to find his home. Now on this journey, David faces many challenges. He is mistreated by some people, but he also comes across Many, many people who help him, who take him in and give him food and and give him what he needs. And on this journey, David also learns to pray to the God of green pastures, an allusion to Psalm 23. And so on this journey home, on this journey from slavery to freedom, though it's long and hard and difficult, David actually begins to grow and to change. And to soften. And he actually begins to learn to trust again. And this story of David is a good picture of the journey of faith for the Christian. We've been set free from our slavery to sin and death in Christ. We are on a journey home to God. But this journey is not simple or easy. In fact, on this journey we face many difficulties, many hardships. But just like David, this journey is changing us, growing us, strengthening us. And we are learning to trust in the God 
of green pastures. We've been in a sermon series for the last few weeks that we've called Awaken Alive. We are seeking to reawaken, to revive, to deepen our relationship with God. We want to draw closer to God and to go deeper with God than perhaps we've ever been before. And so far we've seen or we've gotten honest with God in week one. We've looked at the beauty of God's presence in week two. Last week we wanted to make sure that nothing was holding us back, that we're not limiting God in any way in our lives. This week we want to prepare ourselves for the long journey home. We want to learn how to trust God on this long, difficult journey home to God. And this is why we're turning to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is in the Bible to help us develop trust in God for this journey. To help us know how to seek God, even in the midst of our troubles and our trials and our difficulties. In fact, if you have Psalm 63 open in front of you in your Bible, you'll see that there's a little phrase that is there above the words of the actual psalm. And this little phrase says, A psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now David, of course, was the king of Israel. But he had been driven from his palace in Jerusalem into the wilderness in Judah by his own son, Absalom. Now, there's a dysfunctional family. (laughs) And you can read all about it in 2 Samuel chapter 15. See, David and Absalom had a falling out and Absalom built his own army up. And he's coming after David to kill him and to take his throne. This is the original Game of Thrones. And so there you have David. Here he is, a fugitive in the desert, being hunted by his own son. This is not a very pleasant situation. And what this tells us is that the words of Psalm 63, which are some of the most beautiful words, not just in the book of Psalms, but in the entire Bible, these words were not written in the tranquility of the temple, with birds chirping and worship music playing. These words were not written in the beauty of the palace in Jerusalem. These words were written in the harshness of the wilderness and in the midst of deep, personal pain. This is why one pastor says, even, or he says, to be in the wilderness is hard, but spiritually creative. In other words, even in the wilderness, even in the midst of his pain and his confusion, David was awake and alive to God. The wilderness did not turn him away from God, it actually turned him to God. And this is why Psalm 63 can help us on our journey. Because though the details are going to be different, we are going to find ourselves on this long journey home in times of wilderness wanderings. We're going to find ourselves in times of pain and difficulty and dryness. Now maybe you would say that right now you are in a a time where you find yourself in the wilderness. Life is hard, life is difficult and if you're not then you will at some point in your life in your journey and as Psalm 63 tells us this wilderness wandering with God it will not be purposeless 
But actually, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, it can be a time of spiritual awakening, spiritual renewal. It can be a time where we are strengthened and deepened and where we grow and change. Because in the wilderness, we learn to trust God. We learn to depend on God. And really, we see this truth throughout the entire Bible. You know the story of the Exodus, when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt? They wandered through the wilderness for 40 years before entering the Promised Land. Why? Because they had to learn to trust in God, to depend on God. Before Jesus began his public ministry, he was driven into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. In the Bible, the wilderness is always purposeful. Because it's in the wilderness that we learn to trust God, to rely on God, to seek God with all our heart. And this is what we see happening for David. Verse 1, he says, earnestly I seek you. And this is why Psalm 63 can help us. Because we can learn from David's example. We can learn how to seek God in the midst of our difficulties. In fact, we see three insights in this psalm about how we can seek God even when we find ourselves in the wilderness. Three insights about what it means to seek God when life is difficult and life is hard. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing that we see. To seek God means to have a personal relationship with God. This is the foundation. This is where it begins. David begins this psalm in verse 1. He says, O God, you are my God. Now he doesn't say, O God, you are God. Or, O God, you are a great God. Though all those things are true. He says, O God, you are my God. Now I wonder how many people in your life you can call my If you don't know me at all and you were to overhear me talking and you heard me refer to my Molly or my Knox, then you might assume that that is my wife or my son and you'd be right. When you use the word my, you are referring to a very close relationship. And David knew God in a close and intimate way. This is why when he finds himself in the wilderness, in a difficult time in his life, He does not kind of just pray a vague prayer of desperation to a distant God. He doesn't say, oh God, whoever you may be, if you're out there, please help me. No, he prays to the God that he knows personally. And this is important for us because we need to learn to seek God when the sun is shining, when life is good, so that when the dark clouds come, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, We know which way to turn. You see, even in this time of trouble, David turns to God instinctively. A lot like a child turns to their mother or father instinctively when they find themselves in danger. The other day, I was at my mum and dad's and I asked dad if I could have a look at his whippersnipper. I'm in the market and so I wanted to check it out and see what it was like. And so dad pulls out his whippersnipper and my son Knox was kind of just wandering around, playing nearby. And when Dad started that whippersnipper up, he bolts, runs straight over to me, grabs onto my leg and starts to climb. I mean, in the time of danger, when he felt 
threatened. He didn't need to be told where to go. He knew instinctively to run to his dad for help and for rescue. And of course I said to him, come on, it's just a whippersnapper, you'll be fine. When a Christian goes through the wilderness, they instinctively turn to God. They might not know why it's happening, what they're going through, but they know that they can trust God. They know that God will be a refuge for them. And so they turn to him. And this is the foundation to truly seeking God. It's not just knowing facts about God. It's a personal relationship with God. So let me ask you this question. Do you have a personal relationship with God? I'm not asking, did you make a decision or pray a prayer 10, 20, 30 years ago, as good as that is? I'm asking, are you walking with God right now? Are you seeking God right now? You might say, Adam, well, I'd like to do that, but but I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure how I can do that. Well, David actually gives us two insights in this psalm as to how we can grow in our relationship with God. We see the first in verses 5 to 7 where he tells us or shows us that the way we grow closer to God is by spending time alone with him. David says in verses 5 and 7, I won't read it all, he says, My soul will be satisfied. My mouth will praise you when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Now remember, David is in a terrible situation which probably explains why he's up in the middle of the night. I mean, who's been there before, awake in the middle of the night because of something that's going on in your life? Now look what David does. He turns to God. But he's not just asking for things. He doesn't say to God, well, God, my soul will be satisfied when you deliver me. When you put me back in the palace, then I'll be happy. No, he says, my soul will be satisfied when I remember you. When I meditate on you. The way we grow closer to God is by growing in our understanding of who God is. It's by drawing close to him and opening up the Bible, not just to find out what we have to do, or not just bringing a shopping list of prayers to God, though those are all good things. But it's opening up the Bible to learn more about who God is. To discover more about what he's like. And so we read a passage of scripture and we ask ourselves, well what does this reveal to me about God? And then we think on it, we chew on it, we pray about it, we give thanks for it. We draw closer to God by knowing more about who God is, meditating on him, remembering him. But David also tells us that we draw closer to God by worshipping with other believers. In verse 2, David refers to the sanctuary, the temple, the place of corporate worship. Now in the wilderness, David was cut off from the temple. He was cut off from corporate worship. But the memory of worshipping together with other believers, it strengthens him in his time of difficulty. And when we go through the wilderness, we need other people around us. We need the people of God. The way that we draw near to God is by drawing near to the people of God. In fact, the entire New Testament just assumes that a child of God will be part of the family of God. And not just the the universal church, but a local church. 
with real people. Now I know there are legitimate things that can keep us away from church. understand that. But if we're being honest, there are also many illegitimate things that keep us away. And the Bible clearly teaches us that when we come to Christ, we also become part of the bride of Christ, the church. Which means to receive Christ, to devote yourself to Christ, but to ignore his bride, to not care about his bride, it's not only illogical, but also spiritually dangerous. We need one another. And the reason that some of us can become half-hearted about Jesus is because we become half-hearted about his bride. We think we can have Jesus, but reject his bride. But one of the ways that we draw near to God, seek God, is by drawing near to his people, planting ourselves in a community of believers. So this is the first thing we see in Psalm 63 about what it means to seek God, is to have a personal relationship with God. The second thing we see is that it means to desire more of God. Look at what David goes on to say in verse 1. He says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now David is literally in a dry and weary land where there is no water. But he's not just saying I'm physically thirsty. He's saying I'm spiritually thirsty. I want more of you, God. Now the way that you know you've met the real God is that you're hungry and thirsty. You desire more. You desire greater knowledge about God. You desire deeper communion with God. You desire more wholehearted obedience to God. You desire more. The Christian life is not a life where you pray a prayer and come to church every now and again and then wait for heaven. The Christian life is a life where we grow deeper in our understanding and our relationship with God. And that's true whether you're 8 years old or 18 years old or 80 years old. There's always more. In fact, listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones, the uh, great British preacher, said in one of his sermons. He said, possibly one of the most devastating things that can happen to us as Christians is that we cease to expect anything to happen. Or let me put it like this. You may feel and say, as many do, I was converted and became a Christian. I've grown, yes, I've grown in knowledge, I've been reading books, I've been listening to sermons, but I've arrived now at a sort of peak, and all I do is maintain that. For the rest of my life, I will just go on like this. Now, my friend, you must get rid of that attitude. You must get rid of it once and forever. That is religion, it is not Christianity. This is Christianity. The Lord appears. Suddenly, in the midst of the drudgery and the routine and the sameness and the dullness and the drabness, unexpectedly, surprisingly, he meets with you and he says something to you that changes the whole of your life and your outlook and lifts you to a level that you had never conceived could be possible for you. Oh, do not let the devil persuade you that you have got all you are going to get, still less that you have received all you are ever going to receive when you were converted. Oh, do not believe it. It is not true. It is not true to the teaching of the scriptures and it is not true in the experience of the saints running down the centuries. There is always this glorious possibility of meeting with him in a new and a dynamic way. 
This is Christianity. Our God is a living God. And he's changing us and growing us and strengthening us and deepening us. Now maybe you're thinking, Adam, I'm not really sure I believe that. I'm not sure I've ever experienced that. In fact, I don't know if I've ever experienced or felt the presence of God. Now let me be clear, the Bible does not say that we will always feel the presence of God. That we're always going to feel warm and and tingly and peaceful. In fact, listen to what Psalm 88 says, which is just as much in the Bible as Psalm 63. The psalmist writes and says, But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? This is in the Bible. I mean, go home and read Psalm 88. And I'm sure that many of us can relate to these words. I know that I can. And so don't hear Martin Lloyd-Jones the wrong way. He is not saying that the Christian will walk through life with a kind of permanent, impenetrable, divine sense of bliss. And that if you don't feel that, then you're not a Christian. That's not what he's saying, and that's not what the Bible expects us, or leads us to expect us to experience. Now Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying to us, you might not be that close to God right now. Maybe you've drifted from God, but do you want to be near to him? Do you want to grow closer to him? Or are you just kind of content to stay where you are? Let me encourage you this way. If you sense God's absence in your life, but you are dissatisfied with his absence, then that is a sign of his presence. You wouldn't miss God, you wouldn't long for him at all if he had not first opened your heart to want him. And the good news is that he stands ready to receive you when you turn to him. David says in Psalm 31, he said, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. God, I don't even think I know you. I think you've cast me off. But then what does he go on to say? But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. God hears your cries for mercy. And he helps you. To seek after God means to have a personal relationship with him. It means to desire more of him. And thirdly, it means to seek God above all else. David says in verse 3, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now, do you remember a few years ago when BCF, uh, Boating Camping Fishing Store, had their advertising campaign? They had that boy named Joshua sitting in a dark room playing video games and this voiceover comes on the screen and says, that ain't living, Josh. This is living. And then the footage shifts to people water skiing and outdoors and doing all kinds of things. Well, according to BCF, to be truly living, the best thing in life is to be outdoors. And it's pretty great. But according to David, the best thing in life, truly living, is to know the love of God. In fact, David even says here that to be loved by God is better than being alive. 
Now, for some people throughout history, this has been a very real choice that they have had to make. Countless people throughout history, when given the choice, they chose to hold on to God instead of their life. We see it in the Bible, we see it in church history, and we even see it to this day. Open Doors is an organisation that works with the persecuted church all over the world. It's an organisation that we've been involved with in the past and we've supported. They estimate that last year, 2018, there were 3,000 people killed for their faith in Jesus. All these people throughout history in 2018, they have testified in their death that God's love is better than life itself. And I guarantee you that they are gloriously happy about their choice today. Now I know that for most of us, we're going to walk out those doors tonight and go home and we're not going to face the the threat of being killed for our faith in Jesus. But we are going to walk out those doors and we are going to face the temptation to love life more than God. To love the gifts of God more than God himself. Now there's nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts that God has given us. To be devoted to our kids, to be devoted to our job, to enjoy friendship and books and music and movies and sex, to to enjoy tending the garden, to have a hobby, to decorate your home, to watch a sunset. These are all amazing gifts from God. But here's the point. They're gifts from God. They're not God. And our worship was never meant to terminate on the gifts, but to be given to the gift giver. And this is why we are to seek God above all else. To make him the number one priority in our lives. To make him the sun around which our universe revolves. This is why Jesus said the greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is also why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, die to yourself and make your life about following Jesus. And this is why Christianity is not an optional weekend activity that we fit into our busy schedules when it's convenient. In fact, I love what Ray Ortland, a pastor in the United States, says about the early church in Acts chapter 2. He says, when the early believers converted to Christ, it never occurred to them to fit him into the margins of their busy lives. They redefined themselves around a new, immovable centre. He was not an optional weekend activity along with the kids' soccer practices. They put him and his church and his cause first in their hearts, First in their schedules, first in their budgets, first in their reputations, first in their very lives. They devoted themselves, Acts 2.42. And this was unmistakable evidence that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And was that your Christianity? Because that's biblical Christianity. To seek God above all else. Now, if we're honest, some of us would say where well, we've drifted to a place where, where Jesus is more at the margins of our lives than at the centre of our lives. 
where there's lots of things that are more important to us than the love of God. And this is a constant battle for all of us. It reminds me of that well-known hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're all tempted to drift. But whenever we allow ourselves to drift, we drift in one direction, downstream. And so God is calling on some of us tonight to get decisive, to get out of the stream, to stop drifting and to run to our Saviour. That hymn goes on to say, it says, Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Some of us need to offer our hearts, offer our lives to God tonight with no strings attached. With total abandon, with utter surrender, with wholehearted devotion. And this is not something that I can do for you. This is something that I can only do for me. This is between you and God. But the good news is that God has not held himself back from you. But God has totally devoted himself to you. In fact, this is kind of the point of the ending of this psalm. In verses 9 to 11, David finally turns his attention to his enemies, those who are trying to kill him. And these last few verses almost seem a little bit jarring, but they make a very important point. See, David says that those who are opposing him, those who are seeking to destroy his life, they will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword. They'll be eaten by wild animals. Why? Because they're opposing him, God's true king. Now, the truth is, King David points us to God's ultimate king, King Jesus. And when Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, he came to those who were opposing him. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. We've rebelled against God. We've turned from God. But the amazing good news of Christianity is that Jesus Christ, God's true king, he came from heaven to earth to those who were opposing him and he did not come to destroy us. He came to be destroyed for us. He had a spear run through him. He was crucified upon the cross. He was buried in the depths of the earth. Why? So that we, who were enemies of God because of our sin, might be made loved, forgiven children of God because of Christ. So that we, who were far from God, might be brought near to God. God has totally devoted himself to you so that you can totally devote yourself to him. And so what's holding you back? Today's the day to get decisive, to offer your whole heart to the God who has given his only son for you. And he promises that he will never let you go, that nothing in all creation can separate you from his love In Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And there are some of us here tonight who need to get out of the stream. We need to stop drifting. And we need to run to our Saviour. There are others of us here tonight who need to do that for the first time. We need to turn from our sin that has separated us from God. And we need to place our faith in Jesus who has paid the penalty for our sin upon the cross. 
so that we might know God. So I'm going to pray and then you just pray your own prayer to God wherever you find yourself at the moment. And he hears. And then after the service tonight, I'm going to just be down here and I would love to pray with you if you'd like that. I'd love to talk with you a little bit more about Jesus. But let's all take a step closer to God tonight. Let's get out of the stream, get decisive and walk towards our Saviour. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have done everything for us to know you. You have not remained distant, but you have come near. And in Jesus, we can come before you with our sins forgiven, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we have a hope and a future in him. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would fill us tonight with an awareness of your love and the presence of your spirit that we might take a step closer to you tonight, that we might offer you our hearts wholeheartedly, holding nothing back. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue in a time of reflection as we close.